this is limitless possibility i'm luke levy's mable and i'm yank man and tonight for our last episode of 2018 we have a special episode yes we do we're going to be talking about our games of the year for 2018 i'm super excited but first i have some follow-up <laughs> of course uh but it's very brief follow-up uh and it's sad follow-up yes it is for us in particular uh, the Cydia store, which is the store for jailbroken iOS devices, which began around the iOS 2.2 days, has shut down this week. Um, it wasn't supposed to shut down this early, but it was still planned to shut down before the end of the year, although many people didn't know about this until it actually shut down. Uh, basically, there was a PayPal-related security bug that was found within the Cydia store infrastructure, and since Soric was already planning to shut down the store at the end of the year anyway, instead of patching it out, he simply shut down the store entirely. Uh, if you already have purchases that exist in the Cydia store, the authentication for those packages will continue to function, although it's unclear right now to me uh, as a developer how people will phase out those transactions and turn them into either free packages or migrate them to some other payment scheme. Uh, apparently, I've been told that it's been common practice for a while in the jailbreak scene to also have your own parallel payment system to sell independently of the city store. I was not aware of this. I don't know if people are bullshitting me because I have a lot of bullshit in my mentions ever since I tweeted about this. So who knows? Maybe it's true. Um, but yeah, for, for more on my personal experience in the CDS store, you may want to go listen to episode 30, which was about my tweak iconoclasm, which is what my job was for six years. Uh, and because of you was also a part of the CDS store, although not quite as successful as I was. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think it's very notable because a lot of people I know got their start in the CDS store, not in the app store, um, even though both launched in the same year-ish, uh, a lot of us just had more motivation to go tweak around the system and release things there, and a lot of young developers got their start there, and I think we need to like highlight this uh, while we're eulogizing it. So thank you, Sorik, and thank you to the CDS store for providing that ecosystem for us to grow up in, and although I wasn't able to diversify and stay in there for longer like i would have preferred to um it was still a great experience nonetheless and also uh, since i was part of sorry center circle at the moments when he was developing the cds or i have a lot of stories that i heard of why certain decisions were made behind the scenes and all of that stuff that i continue to value very much to this day when i'm dealing with payment processors at work among other things yeah i can understand this feeling quite uh, well but it is sad. I agree. Um, to me, that was that was a, my first like experience on iOS as a developer, even if it was not the uh, first party one. Uh, in so far, that there's also that tweak that uh, Yannick mentioned was um, the first. Yeah, I think you can consider it, that's the first and only side project I ever shipped. Hmm, that's so, interesting. It is interesting. Um. That was done during my uh, CGIP studies, like you. Like you. Uh, it was a uh, great memory so far. I wonder where the code is. I know it might be somewhere, or I might have lost it in the backup or stuff like I that. I may have a backup of it somewhere. <laughs> you might. Uh, I think there's a copy on my private GitHub. 
GitHub account. I'm saying that then my uh, coup my indication coupon expired, then I'm not renewed it yet, so I have to deal with that. But I digress. But yeah, so I might have an old copy on Git, which I could have an earlier, or newer version, excuse me, on the backup that I don't know where I put that. Lot of skin, a lot of digital cleanup I need to do uh, at some point. Uh, but yes, so um, I'm sure I will laugh a little, a lot by looking at it right now. But it is one of my first. It is my first and only side project that I ship, so I'm quite proud of it still, even if it had limited success and uh, it also had kind of limited target audience. So I understand why it had limited success nowadays. Uh, next up, before we go into the show proper, I did ask for the last two episodes for people to send in their favorite games they played this year, and uh, only one person replied, but we don't have very many listeners, so it makes up for like one-eighth of our listeners, so thank you uh, to Richard, who answered uh, in uh, with the games. I'm a stupid person who didn't put his list of games into the show notes that Seriously? I'm looking at, because I'm an idiot, so I'm going oh. to... In real time, scroll down my Twitter faves and hope I faved it. <laughs> Please do, because seriously, like, it's the only Okay, I got it, got it, got it, got okay, it. Okay, good. Okay, good. So here we go. Uh, his Twitter is private, which is why you probably haven't seen these until now. So, games our friend Richard has enjoyed this year Tetris Effect in VR. There's a Tetris game in VR? Yeah, yeah. So, Tetris Effect what? is a game by the developer of. Luminous and Res and mm. uh, Child of Eden and a bunch of these games which which have a heavy focus on uh, the integration between music and visuals. And Tetris Effect is just like the most premium Tetris game you can think of. Uh, it's also something like 50 bucks right now, uh, which is Whoa, the main okay. reason why it's a hard sell. It's like, it's a Tetris game. It's the prettiest Tetris game you'll ever see. And you can play <laughs> Tetris in VR, which is fantastic. But is it worth $50 to play another Tetris game that doesn't really introduce anything mechanically groundbreaking? Like, there are Tetris games I would pay 50 bucks for. Puyo Puyo Tetris was very good, and I would have paid 50 bucks for it. Uh, and Tetris Grandmaster, if they ever make a real Tetris Grandmaster for consoles, I am definitely paying whatever price it costs. It can cost $300. I don't give a shit. I'm going to pay it. <laughs> Tetris Grandmaster is the greatest Tetris game of all time. Uh, Tetris Battle Guide M. Like, there are a bunch of very particular Tetris games that have very interesting mechanical twists. The problem with Tetris Effect is it has none of that. It's just the best presentation in a Tetris game ever, and I have trouble justifying the expense. Now, I do know that Tetris Effect was on sale for like 20 bucks US last week, which is probably when I should have bought it, but I didn't buy it. Uh, I don't know if it's still on sale this week, but I will check. Yeah, it's a great moment to buy games, I guess, uh, before... Uh, or I guess we'll do that later in the episode, but uh, to prepare the next year, uh, the December and holiday season is, I guess, a too good to be true moment for buying video games. I think in November, because of Black Friday, I bought a lot of them, and I'm reserving some video games budget for the next few uh, weeks. It's also kind of a fuck you to parents, though, because parents <laughs> are buying physical copies of gift of games for their kids. Which are probably going to cost twice the price of what they're going for digitally the week before Christmas. And now you have to basically convince your kids, don't buy the game half off right before Christmas because you're going to be getting it in a week anyway, right? So it's kind of a messed up thing. Like I know people who are getting gifts this year who are on sale right now. And I'm really hoping they're not buying those games right now. 
I would say it depends because I look at some of the deals and one of the game. Oh, I didn't put it in my list, but one of the game that I will be playing next year, we find it for half price at Costco, and that was the cheapest price around. So if you look hard enough and you want to buy a game at its cheapest price ever, you might end up with me with a mix of physical and digital games. Yes, sometimes you get lucky like that. Uh, unfortunately, the games in particular that I'm thinking of are very limited releases, so it is only ever going to be cheap digitally because the physical mm-hmm. copies are very rare. Oh, okay. Next up on my friend Richard's list is Night in the Woods. All I remember about this is it's a game that a lot of millennials love, but I don't actually remember what kind of game it is. Uh, so let's look it up right now. This is the greatest radio. Oh my goodness, Nick. It sounds like you've prepared so much for this uh, input. So I've been preparing this episode since June, but I have not I prepared the follow-up at all. It, okay, that, uh, what I'm about to say will sound bad, but I think this episode is the most preparation I've done. Because you know what? With all the games I've played, I might have spent more like a, in the last year, like 200 hours at minimum on games. So that's quote-unquote 200 hours of preparation minimum for this episode. Let's call it this way. Okay, so I believe this game is a point-and-click adventure game of sorts about a young woman called May who recently dropped out of college and returned to her hometown to find unexpected changes. Oh, I think I heard of it. Yeah. Because the the woman's name rings a bell and there's a... Going back from... Yeah! Hmm. But anyway, it was very popular like last year and... Very popular with millennials, whatever the I, fuck I, that means. I, I, which means us, by the way. Just saying. Oh, sorry. Well, I haven't <laughs> and, played it, so it can't be that popular. True. And also, I think it, it will be a common theme, at least in my game list, that it was a popular game last year, but I digress again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and last on uh, Richard's list are Yakuza 6 and Yakuza Kiwami 2. I need to be honest, uh, a couple years ago, in fact, like, I think 2015 or 2016, I bought two Yakuza games. Uh, I bought Yakuza 0, which w- it takes place in the 1980s, and I was super into that. And I bought Yakuza Kiwami 1 way before they even announced that they were going to localize it into English. Now, not only did Yakuza Kiwami, Yakuza 6, and Kiwami 2 come out in English, but I still haven't played that game at all. I've only played Yakuza 0, which ha- was fantastic, by the way. It's just I didn't feel like playing two Yakuza games back-to-back. Uh, and World of Warcraft, I forgot about that. But oh, classic! There's, uh, I think, a big expansion. Excuse me, that was released in the last few months. Yes. So I feel that some of my uh, wild friends are like, "Oh my god, new expansion! I need to reserve some time." So thank you to Richard for um, sending in his games that he enjoyed this year in 2018. I didn't have like a master plan of what to do with it. Clearly, as you can tell from this <laughs> botched yes. segment, but we just. We're curious to know what people were playing in our audience because what we've noticed over the past few weeks is that a lot of people's game of the year lists are very different from ours. Oh, that's true because it is a time of the year where people release theirs and it shows at least for me that I'm not a big buy the latest AA title like when they are got released and I guess I can uh, discuss that a bit even more. I know it's the right time in yours outline but uh yes i was looking at some of the lists that got released this week i'm like oh i guess this will be similar to my next year's game of the year <laughs> list yeah probably uh so l- let's jump right into that which is 
the criteria slash rules that we use to select the games that we're going to be talking about on this episode, basic structure of the episode, we're going to talk about the criteria, the runner-ups, then we're going to talk about our winners for the game of the year, and then at the end we're going to talk about what we're going to be doing in 2019, gaming-wise. Um, so the only rule that I believe uh, applies to both of us is that the games just had to be played within the last year-ish period, but they didn't actually have to come out this year. What I mean by last year-ish is games played during late 2017 are also applicable. Like, take into consideration that if we had had an episode last year, we would also want to talk about games that were around the time period of that episode. And one of the things that you notice a lot when reading these Game of the Year lists is that there tends to be a recency bias, where games that came out like three weeks ago are ranked super, super high because they're fresh in your mind and you're really hype about them and you don't actually know if they're going to uh, stand the test of time yet. Uh, so I personally, for my list, have excluded any games that I've started playing since October, and I'm telling myself that for next year's episode, I'm going to be able to take anything from I've played from October 2018 onwards to October 2019. So just to make okay. sure that I don't have that recency bias in my results, because otherwise, like, Smash would probably win or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, I will not follow this rule. So well, I'm already breaking one rule. So that's a Yannick rule, not a Luco rule. <laughs> well, that's what I said. I said, for my list, I applied this rule. But yes. Yeah. Maybe I'll explain why I'm not following this rule. So um, I have the most... Okay, so I started to build my list of played games a bit late this year. So I feel that what happened maybe just before the Christmas season, like November, December in 2017, up till I would say spring 2018, is a bit fuzzy. Because the way I remember it is I didn't play that much video game. I guess I was busy with other stuff in life, uh, or I was not in the mood of playing video games. But since... I would say this starts with uh, Super Mario Odyssey, which I did a, l a big episode uh, reviewing it. So I won't go into too much detail about Odyssey, but I guess I will at the same time. But uh, all of this to say is it kind of restart uh, kind of my video game brain side, I would say. Like, I wanted to spend time playing video games just to enjoy video games. I also like to just put my mind at ease from just the normal day-to-day -day stuff. Which that also kickstart again, maybe a bit over the summer too. It's a, it's a weird six months for me playing video games, meaning that I've been playing a lot of video games in the last six months, which I would say that is something not weird, but uncommon. Yes, uncommon might be a better word here, uh, because usually what I would do throughout the year is I would have maybe five four to six moment in the year maybe let's put it a month because i tend to uh, to play games that will take maybe 25 to 40 hours of gameplay to go through the story so i would tend to maybe play them like for a month and like spend this like 30 to 40 hours uh throughout a month and then wait a couple of months like i'm done with that game play another one and then do that maybe like after like every two or three months, which will end up to four or six games per year. But this year, I've been going through a lot of games that I bought for cheap, which is also a common theme because I have limited time to play video games. Usually, I'm eager to play some of the new releases from my favorite 
series of video games, but I don't buy them at launch because in most cases, and it does happen that I have time at launch, so I pay the full price, but it feels pointless to buy a game $80 if I'm not buying the day it gets released. If I'm planning to buy it, to play it six months to a year or even more than a year after it's released, to me, it is spending money for no reason to buy it at that exact time and uh, just play, play it a year later when I can find it on a deal or something. Yeah, just to jump in with, like, we were just talking about Yakuza Kiwami. Uh, like, that's a game that I, pay, that I paid, well, technically it was in, on sale in Japan, so I paid, like, 30 bucks for it at the time with the assumption that, oh, if this game comes out, it won't come out for another three years uh, in English, which is approximately how much time it took to do it. But then I didn't play it for three years. And then last month, it was free for PS Plus owners. So I could have just gotten it for free <laughs> and not bought it three years ago for $30. And on that note, too, what I like to do uh, with the digital store, especially with the Sony one, I think uh, I don't know about the Microsoft store for the Xbox because I never really own an Xbox. But I think in the past few years, Sony is kind of taking the approach of the Steam store where they have a lot of sales throughout the year. And also, if you're a PSN member, a PSN Plus member, excuse me, you get even bigger discounts. So it's, of course, another reason to uh, get your PSN subscription on top of the free game per every month uh, is to get bigger discounts uh, during those uh, sales uh, that happens throughout the year. So what I usually do is when there's a game I know I want to play, I fave it. I fave it in my account. And every time there's a sale, I just don't go through the sale. I go to my faves and I see the discounted stuff. And if I have a big back, back catalog of games, I just don't buy them. But at least I try to remember the price I've seen them. So while so I'm shopping around or just going to physical stores where they sell video games, I'm trying to compare to you know like when I have time to play it or if I see a deal and I can do this price comparison. And in the end, I end up buying a way more games this way than I would do if I were to buy like AAA titles when they would get released because I can play more games when I have time and usually I have time around the Christmas season uh, a bit at the end of the winter stuff like that and I, I like maybe a bit the beginning of fall when they start to rain here so there's like periods of time where I would play a lot of games also buy a lot of games and prepare the catalog of games i could play uh, for the next few other times in the year that there's no sales but i can i want to play games again yeah uh, i do want to add another rule that i am only applying to my list of course which is i'm trying to restrict myself to great games that i enjoyed playing of course but also with impact either on its genre series or gaming history as a whole and the reason for this is this is not titled my favorite game this is titled game of the year i feel like there has to be something in there for other people to enjoy it can't just be like here is a shitty game that only yannick likes uh as game <laughs> of the year like if i did that it would be weird uh so i'm i'm trying to find games that yes of course i have enjoyed them and probably my choice is not going to be on any of the game of the year lists that other people have but it's a game that i feel maybe isn't being valued as highly as it should uh, by the gaming press this year or something like that. So you'll find out as we go through this episode. 
So how about we start with your list? Okay. Um, so this so is runner-ups. Right, you want... Uh, okay, I'm about to break the rule again. Um, it sounds like a top four episode, this, but I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I have a couple of honorable mentions. Oh, that's like fine. We dis- like we discussed uh, in the pre-show, uh, I have like, a long list compared to yours. Uh, I have... Let's look this way. I have three honorable mentions. The first one is Civilization Six. Uh, that I played mainly last holiday season. Like, I obsessively played it last holiday season. <laughs> and the main reason why, it was because it got released on the iPad. Ah, yes. And to me, like, I think, uh, so if I go about, see, if I explain a bit what Civilization is as a game, it's a role-playing game, but it's a turn-by-turn base, tr- no, it's a turn-by-turn strategy game where you are kind of the ruler or the dictator, not the dictator, but you are the per- you're trying to build the best civilization you can. But it is all based on uh, a turn-by-turn system. So you do your movement, and then the other civilization does their own movement, and then does that uh, on a turn-by-turn basis. It's turn-based? It is turn-based civilization. What the fuck? I thought that shit was real-time strategy. No, it is not. What the hell? I've been living in a bubble like all this time. I I swear, I always thought it was real-time strategy. (laughs) Uh, To be honest, I was thinking it was it too. So the reason why I bought it is it it felt to me from what I have learned. So for the past, I'd say, 10 years, I'm trying to find a replacement of my beloved Age of Empires 2 on PC. That was a Microsoft game that was real time. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. And it also, what I like to, it also had quote unquote mission. It adds, uh, it was also objective based. Uh, so I heard a lot of good comments about the Civ series of games because people say like, yes, it's kind of the, the modern equivalent of those games. Turns out it is. Yes, I can see why people say so. But at the same time, it is a bit different. Like, it's turn by turn. More or less, the goal is to be the biggest civilization. And then that's done. I can see that it's good for... No, it's bad for people that are OCD about stuff. But good because you become obsessive about building the best civilization ever. To me, as my last holiday season shows, I became obsessed with this game. (laughs) Uh, And it was also perfect. Because it was on the iPad, so I can be obsessed about it everywhere, which is good and super bad at the same time. Yeah. It is quite dangerous because you can play that in the bedroom, and then you say, oh, it's 11, I'll go to bed and play a little bit, and then like it's 4 a.m., and you're like, oh, you're spent like half of the night just playing that in the bed on the <laughs> iPad. The reason why it is an honorable mention is, yes, I'm looking for an, like, of modern equivalent of Age of Empire 2, but also, I think it is one of the, the, I think it is the first game that is starting this trend to me, where more and more game developers are bringing big titles that got released, I would say, like two or three years in the past, and they're bringing it to more platforms. Another one that I've played this year, that is uh, CD Skyline, but I played it on a Nintendo Switch because it is a 2015 game for PC and most of the consoles. 
but it got released on the got released on the Nintendo Switch this year. And Tony was trying to find a, a SimCity equivalent game because he was in the mood of playing SimCity, and it is one of the most uh, SimCity equivalent, the most one of the good ones uh, and modern ones. And to me, it's like bring those types of games. Like I know it's old, it maybe be older game. But the fact that they are, are on mobile devices, and I, yes, here I include the Switch as a mobile device, shows, especially even for the iPad, shows how powerful those devices have become. Because I haven't looked at the updated version, but like it's not full Retina, but it's near to be full Retina. Civilization 6, uh, what I've seen recently is they've uh, uh, launched in-app purchases where you can download expansions the same way you would do on the PC and the Mac and any other consoles. So they like it feels to me that a lot of strategy games developer are taking advantage of the iPad and to me the modern successor to those games fit amazingly with the iPad. Which brings me to one I'm skipping some points, but which brings me to one of the games and one of the games I would like to play next year is a similar type of game called Tropico. I think right now we're at Tropico 5 on PC, Mac, and all consoles. Uh, with a possible Tropico 6 release early next year. But this week, it was officially released on the iPad. Because uh, I don't, it's, I did some of my research. It's unclear who owns the Tropico brand. But it's been, it feels that throughout the years, there's been a couple of developers that build tropical branded games for a publisher and now one of them is building an equivalent for it on the ipad to me this is super exciting because this is the types of games that in previous episode where we were talking about video games those games yes they are obsessive but you pay for them you can obsess how much how long on how much you want but you pay one price for it like civilization you might be able to get extension and stuff like that but they're not the new like free-to-play dumbed-down version that most strategy games are going through. SimCity is a good example of this. Right now, it's a free-to-play. You need to pay to for uh, to pay to improve your city type of game. I think they have uh, an Age of Empire kind of game like this. Which Command is and Conquer is also like this as of this year because they showed it at E3 and it was like uh, Shannon and I were watching it. And we were like screaming at the TV. We we're like, you can't do this to Command and Conquer. You can't just bring weird StarCraft pros and make them play a shitty Command and Conquer on a phone <laughs> and try to sell this as a game. And I don't think it actually ever came out. I don't know if they canceled really? it or if it's just very delayed, but it looked very bad. Um, and now you're remembering that I would like to have a more than equivalent of Red Letter 2. I played so much this game when I was young. So much. But yes. So that's why they are, they're not my game of the year, but this I would say this movement is my honorable mention for 2018. (laughs) The fact that more and more big games like console and PC-based games are coming to modern mobile platform and they're not really downplayed or not even dumbed-down version. They're just full version of that game running quite well on the iPad. Makes me hope for more game on the iPad like the unfortunate reality is the RTS genre has been like sort of pushed aside in recent years. And aside from Blizzard, which released uh, StarCraft Remastered last year, 
StarCraft II while we were in college, and they're <laughs> working on Warcraft Three Remastered, uh, which I think comes out 2019. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. But like, the unfortunate thing is that all of the energy from the real-time strategy scene got sucked out when uh, MOBAs happened, and all of the, those companies started working on Dota 2, on League of Legends, on uh, Heroes of New Earth, and all of that shit. And real-time strategies have been like pretty much dead since then, and it really sucks because it's a really cool genre, but you don't really have any options if you like real-time strategy in 2018. True, and in the last, I would say, 10 years, I've been more of a console gamer than a PC gamer. Yeah. Uh, even when I was like a teenager, like my RPC quite sucked to be a gaming PC. But I was able to play, like, at that time, like, a good example, Age of Empire 2 in, in 2005 and 2006 was considered an old game because it was released, I think, in 99, if I recall correctly, something like that. 98, I think, yeah. Yeah, and same thing with uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert 2. They were considered old games, but they were so good, and it feels to me that because those types of games, you need to point and click, and, it, like, super, since it's real-time, it's way better to have a mouse or a tracking device that when they get ported to the console, and I've seen that with City Skyline, they're okay, it's nice, like the flexibility of it being mobile is nice, but using a joystick to do those, it's hard to get it well, and it's really hard to get it well. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but StarCraft 64 actually nailed getting StarCraft working on a Whoa, console you, controller. Me, you're praising an N64 game here? I, I mean, I'm as shocked as you are, man. <laughs> wow, I, I think I think we just need to end the episode here. The game of the year is Yannick praising StarCraft N64. 64. <laughs> no, 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 it's not the, the StarCraft game. It's just you praising an N64 game. That's the game of the year. This is about the only nice thing I can say about the N64. So, and I'm not even drunk. I'm drinking fucking diet coke. <laughs> maybe you're drunk on diet coke. Oh, well, maybe. I think that's right now my honorable mention. Uh, my honorable mention number two, unless you have honorable mention. I do not. Okay. Honorable mention number two is the first South Park game. So South Park, the Stick of Truth. Uh, I got both South Park game because there's I was a sequel to it, the Fractured Butt Hole. I'm sorry for my pronunciation, but it is to be... A joke, but it's not written as a joke. It's written with like the word "but" with one T and whole like a whole part of a part, but it's a joke. Uh, those the first one was amazing. It was released in 2014, and that's the oldest game I have on my list, uh, which is a typical turn-by-turn -turn RPG game where there's a story, and it re it's funny because. In the recent years, I've grown to love Salt Park. I remember when it got released when we were teenagers, I was like, this is just dumb to be dumb, right? Uh, and it feels to me that these past seasons, and maybe it's grown with me over time, but it feels to me that there's always doing something stupid, but relate there's always something related to the news these days. Whereas the first few seasons, and Tony was a big fan of it at that time too, it was really to be a, like fart joke to be fart joke and stuff like that. But right now, they, uh, try, they always put a funny twist to the, like, the current news when they develop the strategy and they always have uh, funny stuff. So the Stick of Truth game kind of plays like a Salt Park episode, which is quite nice because you're kind of more or less being like 
either you're part of the episode or you're kind of like driving your own episode even if it's a storyline based story uh but more or less you're playing kind of the there are kind of the kids are uh, playing elves versus something I don't, I don't recall what they're playing so they you have to it's a turn by turn game where you need to fight with other people and there's a story behind it and there's kind of the elves versus an, the other like type of people uh, and it, it was a quite of a nice story game the art is like any South Park episode. Uh, the development of that game was a bit rocky because it was done by THQ and then THQ went under and then Ubisoft bought it back. Which the reason why it is an honorable, honorable mention is because the second one is good, but it sucked because it all, all it had Ubisoftism all over the place. <laughs> so I was happy to play again to another like get the same vibe of kind of driving my own South Park episode, which I, I loved, but filled with a lot of really weird Ubisoft decisions. And they kind of like took the same turn-by-turn base, but now in the first game, the character wouldn't move, and now you have kind of a map or a grid where they're this part of the strategy is you need to also move because the attacks are like... Uh, I don't have a good example of games that do that because I'm not a big kind of strategy game person even if i mentioned a lot of strategy game in the last like 20 minutes uh but it, it felt to me that some of the niceties of the first game that i like were kind of lost because of some of the weird decisions they decided to make about the gameplay but still it's a too nice game if you're a good uh, south park fan uh and the reason why they are especially the first one are uh, honorable mention is because i really like this really love this you kind of are part of the episode. You're kind of controlling the story of the episode, and of course, some of this, some of the decisions we make affect the small picture of the whole story, but uh, not whole picture still. One of the things I found really interesting about this game is um, because I heard an interview about one of the writers who worked on that game on a podcast I listened to, mm-hmm. and apparently Trey Parker, which was one of the animators for the show, like one of the two guys who made South Park. Um, was very intimately involved with the development of both these games. They were, yes. Yeah, they were like very present in whatever developer meetings that they needed to, which is insane because if you know how the South Park schedule is, like I don't know how they managed to fit that into their schedule, um, but they were very involved. They wanted to make this one of the greatest South Park games of all time. And like I'm not necessarily the biggest South Park fan on the planet, but I do respect that they actually cared enough about their game to be a participating party at on, at the table which is not something that usually happens for these kinds of video games yeah and about the sequel they were i read a bit about the it's history and it was nearly not was nearly not done they were like they were the plan was nearly scrapped because uh the south park team decided where they'd have to decide better doing a sequel to the game or doing a movie and they were like okay we have our family we have to travel because i think now the I think at that time the THQ team was close to them in, I think they were in the Northwest, something like that. But I, I remember that now the Ubisoft game was in San Francisco and they had to travel a lot. That's what they were saying in the, the, that, in the stories I was reading, in the articles. They had to make a decision. Like They had time for committing on one thing. It, it was either the game or the movie and they decided to go with the game because they felt that the game was kind of a movie plus plus experience. Yes, it would have been nice to build a movie, but kind of being doing a role-playing game where you are the character for them felt it was way better than 
doing a movie. And that's why they focused on doing a sequel at that time. And they wanted, again, to be part of every decision. I think they they were writing the story, more or less. And they were working with the game animators to make sure that they get the South Park aesthetic correctly. Yep. And it is true that it feels like a South Park episode. Even the drawings and everything, the animation, it feels like a South Park episode that he controls. Which is why it is my second honorable mention. My last honorable mention, and it is the last one, um, is not a game. It huh. is related to a game, but it is not a game. Hmm. I fall back in love with online playing this year. Okay. Oh, okay. I think I know where this is going. You know where this is going. So, uh, recently, my there's a backstory about my brother, my brother getting better internet. And now we're playing a lot of online games. But what sparked it back is usually when my brother were, and I were uh, meet and play video games locally together, we usually end up playing one of his Call of Duty games and mostly playing the, like, zombie. And this year I played a lot of first-person shooters, so my skills at playing first-person shooter are getting way better than it used to be because I was playing zero first-person shooters. So um, we start to play again the zombies section of any Call of Duty game. And uh, I think it was a year and a half ago. I think he bought it when it was, or a bit after it got released. But my brother, when uh, in the past few months, when I was uh, with my brother, we played a lot of Call of Duty World War Two. Got got released in 2017, and played its uh, zombie mode. Which what I liked about its zombie mode compared to the previous zombie mode is this one had an object. It was objective based. Typically, if you don't know what. Uh, Call of Duty Nazi Zombies mode R. It is a survivor mode where waves of zombie comes and the more waves you survive, the more zombie comes, so it becomes harder. And the goal is to survive uh, as much wave as you can. Uh, I don't know when exactly they started that with Call of Duty Nazi Zombies, but uh, with this uh, 2017 game, they started to add a bit of objective you need to do. So uh, I didn't pay for the season pass, but uh, there's more maps, but the first map that is unlocked when you buy the game is more or less you got dropped and you need to save one of your bodies and you got dropped into this weird Nazi zombie village and there's a lot of objectives you need to tackle to unlock uh, to unlock parts of the map to then after like do other actions, which end up uh, with a boss, which to this day, my brother and I never uh, did all the objectives come to go to the boss so we are working hard to do that at some point but since i bought this game because it was on discount it ended up being that with my renewed love on playing nazi zombies plus now my brother having better internet at his, at his home we ended up playing that a lot over uh the internet which means i did a lot of also online playing without my brother because i was uh, uh crazy having fun playing nazi zombies so i end up playing a lot on the internet. And I realized, and I think I've touched that on our Splatoon episode, I realized that I love online play when it's not PvP. Mm. When the online mode forces you to collaborate, it feels to me that it forces people to be less of dicks. Mm, not really. <laughs> I said that it forces you, it doesn't mean you are less of a dick. 
Well, it's supposedly helping it, you. It and doesn't force you. It pushes you. It, it makes okay, it less yes. likely that you will be a dick, but you're still going to be a dick probably. That That <laughs> is a good correction. You're correct. It pushes you because the goal of the game is not to be a dick to others because sadly what I feel with a lot of modern PvP games is to be the best, you need to also be a bit of a dick. And I don't mean to insult people on the internet, but you need to be a bit of sometimes like cheap kills because it helps your stats and it incentivizes being a dick with others. And like I said, my definition of dick is not to insult nor be sexist nor be racist. It means more like do cheap shot moves. I repeat it again. Uh, where and usually that th- that type of attitude frustrates me so much that I will just like stop playing entirely. <laughs> In that case, with the Nazi zombies, you can't kill each other. So, of course, if some people are dead, then you need to revive them. They're pissed that they're dead. They might just disconnect, which could cause a lot of issues. But in that type of mode, that's the most dick move they can do, more or less. Because they're so either so, like, used to, like, they're so, like, consumed by the survivalness of it that they cannot do anything else, else than killing zombies. If not, they'll die. So, you might, the other, slightly dick move they can do it's just like do the survival move and not do the objective and then you're there here to do the survival move plus have fun throwing like working through the objectives and puzzles to make sure you can complete the mission more or less so that is something i've liked and because of that again i'm going a bit in the future that's also some of the reason why i bought black ops 4 which we will be talking about later <laughs> okay now i'll stop there but uh, there's a reason why I'm buying other Call of Duty games, which to me is a bit weird. I was never a big Call of Duty fan. I was a big fan when it was on the PS2 playing the World War II kind of type of games. And I was IP that they went back to that type of games, even if a lot of, typi- of the typical Call of Duty fans were not in great agreement. I think it's funny because I had this conversation with you and my brother in two different times and you were like more or less saying the same thing like it's a good game a lot of people didn't like it but it also like you didn't play it no matter it was like it feels weird compared to all the other other call of duty and it's weird though because my brother also played those old ones and he was saying like i don't like it's a bit weird compared to normal ones but also didn't like the the like kind of sci-fi ones that got released in the past few years i forgot their name but uh advanced warfare and infinite warfare there was a, but there's another one. No, the more recent Ghosts? one. Yes, I think it was referring Ghost to Ghost. Is where you older, can... but yeah. Isn't the one you can jump and more or less fly at the same time? And uh, there's I a one that is think super that's recent. Advanced Warfare and Infinite Warfare. Okay, but I know that this somewhat somewhat modern-ish sci-fi-ish games he doesn't like. So that's kind of my opinion, not opinion, but my scope of opinion about those games because I didn't play that much those other games. I think the I played some of them with him because he was he bought a lot of them, but except that I was never a big online player like my brother is. And that was also something while looking through my notes of Splatoon, it's like that was something I loved about Splatoon. Is yes, there's like there's uh there's a uh, con- uh, there's an aspect of PvP in Splatoon, but in most cases the goal is to make sure that you covered the area with most ink. And to make sure that you have enough free room to do so, yes, you need to maybe splash the other players. But the pushes of 
helping you or trying to help you or guide you to do something that is not pure PvP is something I quite like uh, on, on online games. So maybe I'm maybe I should play more strategy game online. Who knows? I don't know what to think of it, but that's my third and last honorable mention. Cool. So let's go through your first few run-ups. Okay, uh, so the first one, I'm going to get this out of the way first because it's too predictable. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Destiny 2 Forsaken, which was released this year. It is the expansion pack to Destiny 2, which whoa, had... Whoa, we're talking about Destiny here? Uh, I'm super surprised right now. Like, super uber surprised. Yeah, so Destiny 2 had a rough first year, and most of it was spent in damage control, trying to repair the damage that Destiny 2 did to hardcore fans. And luckily for everybody, uh, Destiny 2 Forsaken is a return to glory for the Destiny series. Last year, there was way too little to do in-game. Now, there's too much to do (laughs) in-game. Previously in Destiny 1, I had three characters that I would all raise to the max level all the time. Uh, Now, that's basically impossible. I can't even keep up with my main character, uh, which is... Good and bad at the same time. Uh, one of the things is I feel like they might have overcorrected. Uh, a couple months ago, they had, well, not a couple months ago, like last year, last fall-ish, they had uh, what was called the Community Summit. And they invited basically all of the big YouTubers to go to Bungie Studio, and they were given the roadmap for everything that was going to happen to Destiny up until Forsaken. And they gave their feedback, and they were still early enough in development that their feedback could be incorporated into the game. And that's sort of what we're seeing out of Forsaken, is a lot of those opinions were taken into consideration, but I think they were taken too much into consideration. And the opinions of people who play Destiny as a full-time job uh, were the ones that dominated the opinions of hardcore fans who wrestle with a full-time job that isn't Destiny uh, which is the boat that I tend to fall in. And a great example of this is the raid uh, in Stock Forsaken, uh, which is called Last Wish. Usually a uh, normal raid, it takes about like six, seven, maybe ten hours for the first team to beat it. Um, and there's this world's first race, which on Twitch you can go watch whoever is in the first place uh, trying to beat the raid. And it is a big event every time a raid comes out. And like... Bungie is aware of this because the entire Destiny team, aside from the server crew, takes the day off and goes to the theater and watches the world first race with everybody else there. And this time, the last Wish Raid took 19 hours to be beaten for the first time by the first team. The second place team took 24 hours and two minutes. So it was a very, very hard raid. It has a lot of stupid bullshit that nobody (laughs) can be expected to figure out on their own. And it feels like it was designed for people who are watching the world's first race to have a good experience watching it, not as a good experience for the person who's actually trying to play it in the game, which is a problem. Because we are trying to beat it with my friends right now, and it's fucking impossible. So this is one of the reasons it's a runner-up and not my game of the year. I I do also think that Destiny is a very polarizing game in general, and it's not really deserving of Game of the Year, even though it means a lot to me personally. Um, But I think, for now anyway, Destiny 2 is almost better appreciated as a spectator of the more skilled players and clans than it is as a player of the game. And unfortunately, like, my friend circle is not entirely present to play this with me, because Forsaken launched at the same week that 
other very big games launched and they chose the other big games because last year destiny 2 was kind of crappy uh (laughs) so we're still waiting for people to get back on the wagon and come join us to play so it is kind of sucky because it's not as good as it could be if my friends were playing it actively i wonder how much game developer will start to build games Thinking that their main objective is not to be a good game to play, but a good game to watch. Well, all the esports are more or less like this, right? Because they're meant to be spectator sports. True. Plus ranked games that you can play by yourself. And often it's very hard to balance a game to be good for casual audiences and good for uh, professional esports players uh, to do. Which is the big problems you're seeing in Overwatch and League of Legends and those kinds of games nowadays. Mm, Okay. But there are also like just casual party games there was a game on xbox a couple years ago called idarb uh which i don't actually know what idarb stands for but it was a really cool game uh which was i think some kind of like smash like fighting game except people could join your team in twitch chat and type in words that would spawn items that would benefit you whoa okay that's second level for sure yeah, so I think there's definitely developers out there that are thinking about the streaming experience when they're designing their games. But I think, like, in this case, the raid went too much in that direction. Now, the good news is there is a season pass for Forsaken, which is the first time I have ever paid for a season pass for anything. Uh, and they introduced a new raid uh, two weeks ago, which is much more in my wheelhouse. It is much more designed for a casual audience than Last Wish was. Uh, and so it's looking good, but it's hard to tell. There's still a lot of little things here and there that are a little bit too hardcore that need to be tuned down. Uh, and they really seem to be designing those little aspects for the streamer crowd more than for the player crowd. Um, but it's looking good. And hopefully throughout the year, we can get uh, some even greater updates and Destiny can be at the best it has ever been. So my next game is a game from 2005 for the Nintendo DS. It is Ooh. Kirby Canvas Curse. It was released a few months following the launch of the Nintendo DS. Uh, and this game is actually quite notable because the DS launch lineup was basically a collection of tech demos that were experimenting with the bottom touchscreen. And for a lot of these games, it felt like games that were possible with buttons, but the touchscreen was forced into the game because nintendo did force developers to use the touchscreen in all of their launch titles kirby canvas curse is the first game on the ds that really justifies the presence of the nintendo ds touchscreen so as you know kirby games have always been fairly laid back and easy uh this one oddly enough it feels harder than most kirby games but it's even more laid back which is kind of a weird tension So the way the game controls is that Kirby rolls forward until he comes into contact with a path that you've drawn with the stylus. Uh, Gravity doesn't matter when Kirby is stuck to your path. Uh, So if you draw a loop-de-loop and Kirby is technically upside down, he'll stay stuck to the path and not fall down. Uh, But there is a limited time that the path will stay up before it vanishes, and there is a limited length per segment you could draw. So your job is to draw a path to get Kirby to the goal throughout the level, and you can also tap Kirby to make him accelerate, it, uh, accelerate. And while he's accelerating, he can roll into enemies or breakable walls. And occasionally there are other interactive objects like switches or bomb defusal blocks that you can tap throughout the uh, map to cause various events that occur throughout the map. Uh, one of the big reasons I was interested in checking out this game uh, this year was that 
couple of years ago, uh, you and Tony had a party at uh, Tony's parents' house, and that was when I got to play Splatoon for the first time, but it was also the first time I could play uh, Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, which is the follow-up on the Wii U. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, I recall this. Right, and I really liked the sequel, but I wanted to play the original because the original had reviewed so well back in those days. And I totally get why it reviews, reviewed really well, because this is a fantastic game if you just want to chill out and have like a low-pressure but fun experience. And it also just like set the stage as the first game where this is a game for the Nintendo DS that couldn't have been done without a touchscreen and it's also really fun. And it really just kind of justified the existence of the DS. Whereas back in those days, I was very critical of the DS because none of the games looked like they were actually benefiting from the touchscreen being there. And a bunch of other technical bullshit about their online system, which was very bad at the time. But yeah, so this game is very, very good. I'm very glad I bought it. I bought it for, I think, 200 yen at a used game store in Japan. Which translates to? two dollars oh wow okay that's uber cheap yeah yeah. It, it was really good uh technically i have the japanese version which is called touch kirby the only thing that changes is that the text is in japanese in the menus but everything else is basically entirely playable this is a great game highly recommended didn't come out this year i don't give a shit it's very good <laughs> pick it up if you have uh, something to play ds games should i do one more yeah of course go on Okay, well, this is one you're going to be excited about. Call of Duty Black Ops 4, which also came out in 2018. So one of the big changes in Black Ops 4 is that there's no campaign. It's multiplayer online this year. Uh, This is because Treyarch decided to create a game that is all about social multiplayer experiences. Uh, So there are three main modes in Black Ops 4, which is the regular Call of Duty multiplayer that everybody knows very well. Blackout, which is the new Battle Royale mode, which I will talk about extensively in a couple seconds. And, of course, Zombies, which is the Horde mode that Gregi uh, described earlier when he was talking about World War II. Now that I'm thinking of it, it might be my first experience with the Battle Royale game Yeah, when I get it. Yeah. It's cra- Whoa, it's crazy. Dang. And it's a great one to start with. In fact, it's one of the reasons I became interested in Battle Royale uh And the reason for this is it's the first well-executed Battle Royale game, especially on consoles. And 2018 is the year where Battle Royale was the biggest genre. Uh, And if you're not familiar with Battle Royale, a very simple introduction is 100 people drop from an airplane or bus or other thing onto a really large square map. Uh, And you usually have either a parachute or a wingsuit or something to guide yourself down onto that map. Uh, all of those 100 people loot buildings to find weapons, armor, equipment, or health packs that they can carry on them. Uh, and it's a survival game where you try to kill all of the other remaining players. And you might be thinking, well, if the map is huge, how do I find other people? Uh, well, there is a mechanic built into the game that uh, tries to get confrontations to happen between players, which is there's a circle on the map and it keeps getting smaller every few minutes over the course of the game. And being outside of the circle makes you take damage over time and eventually kills you. So you have to stay in the circle and that means that you have more chance of running into other people. So that's the Battle Royale genre. It's fucking huge this year. Uh, And Black Ops 4 is kind of the third big uh, Battle Royale game. So the first big one was PUBG. It really took off while it was in early access, but the problem is that the developers behind it struggled to keep up with the success of the game when it suddenly took off, and they 
it was a really janky thing. It was not very well optimized, so you had to have a crazy good PC. And if you had a crazy good PC, it looked like a PS2 game. It was not great. <laughs> Fortnite was the second and is pretty much the one that got all of the big press this year because Drake played it with Ninja in April and ever since then the world was changed. Uh, one of the big switches uh, changes here is that Fortnite is free to play. It also features a more colorful, kid-friendly aesthetic, whereas PUBG is very military simulation look and feel. Uh, this is very colorful. There are weird colored unicorns sometimes. I don't know. I don't play Fortnite. It looks gross to me, but whatever. Uh, and one of the things that is unique about Fortnite, which it needed because otherwise it would have looked like they had just copied PUBG, is that uh, originally Fortnite was going to be a Minecraft clone. And the problem with that is that nobody wanted to play it when it was a Minecraft clone. So they were like, oh shit, Battle Royale looks like it's going to be good. So they patched in a Battle Royale mode. And then they said, oh yeah, by the way, you can build buildings in this mode and hide yourself behind the buildings. So it's kind of like PUBG X Minecraft. And it's free to play. And uh, you probably already know all of this shit because Fortnite is everywhere. Even if you're trying to avoid it, you can't get away from it. True. And it's even on mobile now. I think that's like one of the big push it got recently is it is on all mobile platforms, iOS, Android. Yep. And P PUBG and Fortnite got mobile versions within a week of each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was really funny. Uh, PUBG Mobile is also very good, by the way. I really like it on the iPad. Never tried it, but I saw a couple of uh, digital foundry videos and the graphics quality it showed was quite impressive while it ran on... Uh, on either an iPad or an iPhone, or even on some high-end Android devices. It was, like, quite good. Yeah, honestly, it, it's way better optimized than the desktop game, which is kind of an embarrassment, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, and then Black Ops 4 comes along, and they're all like, hey, we have a battle-tested FPS engine that has been in every Treyarch uh, Call of Duty game made so far. Let's use it to make a high-quality 60-FPS Battle Royale game that works across consoles and PC." And they nailed it. Even on the PS4? Yeah, it's really, really Ooh, good. I thought Sony was against that. Oh, I don't mean the multiplayer is cross-platform. I just mean the game oh. is cross-platform. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Got it. F Fortnite and I believe Rocket League are the only two games with actual cross-play uh, on PS4. So Black Ops 4 is fantastic. Uh, one of the things I really like about uh, the map in Blackout is that it's actually just like a bunch of multiplayer maps from Call of Duty Black Ops patched together in this large map. So there are zombies maps that you might know that are in this blackout map. There are multiplayer maps, like there are like really fancy houses from a very fancy house map that was in Black Ops 3 that are on the bottom of the map. Uh, all of these areas that you can recognize from past Black Ops games are all on the same map now. Uh, and they've also put zombies inside of uh, Blackout where occasionally you'll be looking up in the sky and there's going to be this big pillar of light in the distance. And if you go to that spot, that's a zombie spawn point. And if you kill the zombies, you can get special zombie weapons that can't spawn anywhere else on the map. Ooh. Yeah, so they found a way to make it do stuff and there are quests you can get from uh, killing zombies or killing specific characters that unlock other character skins and stuff that you can use in game so they've found a way to take what is basically PUBG, 
make it 60 FPS and put enough of the Black Ops personality into it to actually make a very compelling product. And one other thing that really makes it unique is that it's the only Battle Royale game where first person is the intended play experience. Uh, PUBG and Fortnite are both third person, uh, and PUBG is third person by default, but there are first person servers, though there is less population in those servers. And what that means is you have less visual information to make gameplay decisions off of, but it also means you're more immersed in the world, and sound is much more important when you're playing Blackout than you are playing PUBG or anything else. So I really, really like Blackout. Um, I'm not good at Blackout at all, uh, but it is incredibly fun even if you lose. And I think they really made the best Battle Royale game that is popular right now, and also a really good introduction to Battle Royale. Uh, like, PUBG Mobile is probably the best introduction if you don't want to pay anything. Um, but if you don't mind paying to introduce yourself to the genre, Black Ops is like premium Battle Royale because everything else is just jank fest. Uh, <laughs> so it's real cool uh, that they nailed it. And of course, you get all of the regular Call of Duty multiplayer, which I think is pretty good this year. Uh, the weapons have been pretty good. And zombies, which I have not touched at all. Uh, so Ooh. we're definitely going to have to play that together at some point. Yeah, and I have a funny story about Black Ops. So I kind of told uh, since I started to play Zombie with my brother, and he's kind of was wanting to get the reason to buy it, but it's quite expensive. I was like looking at texting him about some of the deals until he tells me that it's like half price on Costco, which it end up we had to do three runs at Costco. He is in the <laughs> other city. I tried to look in Montreal, and then it ended up being that my parents in Trois-Rivières that got the game. So uh, I guess that now they bought the game, and they might be one of our Christmas gifts. We'll have to see. But uh, yes, so hopefully uh, we will play it. But it was like 40 bucks for a 2018 game, which to me was crazy cheap. Though I expect, and that's like, I guess like when you were talking about Destiny and talking about Season Pass, if I like it as much as I like playing online uh, World War II, I might be tempted to buy a season pass to get different. Because in more or less what I understand season pass, season pass do these days is just more or less unlock new maps that you can play online. Yeah. That's what I've seen at least in World, World War II. So we'll see. If I like both the Battle, battle Royale and I find enough uh, fun. I find that it, I would want to spend maybe more. Well, like, hey, it's like sixty-five dollars, so I would spend like the price of another full game to get more stuff out of it. Maybe I'll do. I guess we'll have an updated uh, episode, uh, follow-up later on in a future episode about that. Perhaps. Uh, I only have one other pick, so I might as well just do it now, and then we can go yeah, through do it all now. of yours. Okay. So this is a game we've monstered. We've monstered. This is a game we've mentioned a lot on the show previously. And it's Monster Hunter Generations, also known as Monster Ooh. Hunter Cross. It was released in 2015. And uh, I have mentioned numerous times on the show that I am not happy with Monster Hunter World, which is the 2018 uh, Monster Hunter that came out this year. So this is an anti-pick from Monster Hunter World because I hated Monster Hunter World so much that I went back to Generations and played it after three years. And I played it for like another 40 hours or something. Uh, for a while, I convinced myself that I was going to 100% the game. Uh, I am like at 80 something percent, uh, so I can probably 100% at some point, uh, but I'm not in a big hurry because I have other games to play. Um, but I just love this game a ton, and I have played it a lot this year. 
So it needs to be mentioned. Uh, it is my favorite Monster Hunter game ever. Uh, and the only reason that I sort of almost maybe want to switch is just to be able to play uh, Double Cross or uh, Generations Ultimate, which is the follow-up to this version, once I have 100%ed it. So maybe that is in the cards for the future. But for now, I've just been playing this game a ton this year, uh, especially in the earlier part of the year. And I did a whole podcast about it uh, on the Slack button network. So I will put that in the show notes if you want to go listen to it. It's kind of an honorable mention, but it's kind of also deserving of Game of the Year because I played it a fuck ton this year. Good. Uh, I now realize because I put a lot of stuff in honorable mention that I don't have that much runner-ups. I do have two. Um, so I'll start with the one that is, of course, not my game of the year because the other one, I'm still unsure. Right, right now, I'm still unsure. I'm still thinking about which of... I have two games in my game of the year section. Wow. And I'm still unsure which one I would like to select. This is so some let's top start. four shit. It is some top four shit. I'm so sorry, Nick, by the way. it's uh, I'm super prepared for this, but I'm also uh, super undecided about <laughs> what I want to do for game of the year. Uh, I'll start with one... Uh, my for sure runner up is Horizon Zero Dawn on Ooh. the PS4, which was released last year. It is yep. an amazing, uh, it's an, yeah, it's an open world RPG that uh, happens in the future where, um, you end up in kind of a people living in, uh, tribes. I guess the best way I can describe it. And you start to learn that the, AI robots kind of overtaken the world, so now people went back into tribes and are uh, now trying to stay hidden slash trying to fight those uh, like robots that because of AI they kind of become more intelligent and overpowered the humans. So there's a long story. Uh, there's a quite a well done story about your character, which is a uh, young lady that you start to understand that she doesn't know her parents. Like the tribe she is in, the uh, I don't know why, but they're kind of going on to tribal ideas, saying like, oh, we don't know your parents, so you're kind of a lesser human. That's the part I'm like, oh, that's what a bad way to treat people when the world Alex has exploded and everything. But yes, more or less is that she wants to know what happened to her parents. Like she wants to know what happened because right now she's been defined as quote-unquote an outsider because of this and because of the way that this tribe is being run. At the same time, you start to realize that you will be discovering what happened with the world and with the past civilization that was well like well into the technology and end up being overruled by the technology. So I think right now I spent maybe 20 hours in the game. So it's still early because from what I've heard, uh, it's a quite long game. There's a lot of side quests to do too, so <laughs> I'm spending a lot of time in side quests. Also, uh, the story is quite well made. The graphics, the way the characters look, it's quite immersive, to be honest. Uh, it's really hard to put the controllers down when you play it, which I like in a RPG open world type of game with a lot of side quests. What I've realized though right now, after maybe 50, 10 to 50, uh, 15 hours of game, play is that some of the side quests are a bit repetitive but at least uh they're kind of there's i think five or six types of side quests just that there's a lot of them and since there's kind of no transportation since you need to move on the map 
you are trying to you are walking to go to places to places and the map is huge so uh it seems to be kind of an island where you are on it's a I'm still unsure i still like going through it but uh you're trying to understand because something happens so something big happens where some people attack you and you need to understand why they attacked you also they kind of can control the robot so you need to understand why can they control this technology that was so intelligent that cannot be controlled by humans anymore like how do these people figure out to control this technology and so yeah that's where you're trying to get those answers so it's quite interesting uh quite a big game where you can spend a lot of time but since i didn't add the time to spend too much time yet it is my runner-up also maybe can make my list next year because i started tony bought it uh somewhat for cheap uh a bit before Pokemon was released, so in early November, played a bit and liked it, but then Pokemon got released, so it was sucked into Pokemon. Uh, so I had the opportunity to play it too. Uh, I'll, I'm sure that I'll spend uh, more time in the next few weeks playing this because that's more or less the next game that is, that's my kind of my offline game. Let's put it this way: that is on my list. Um. Okay. Now I need to make a decision. <laughs> okay. Decision has been made. Ooh. My runner-up, last runner-up game is Super Mario Odyssey. Okay. I've discussed it in great length in episode 70. And I'll jump to the conclusion if you didn't... No, that's Splatoon. Excuse me. Oh, wrong episode. <laughs> uh, that's 80. 10 episodes later. So in 70, we, I spoke about Splatoon, my review Splatoon. But in episode 80, it was my uh, Super Mario Odyssey. And my main conclusion to it was that the storyline is amazing. It's a great 3D Mario, but it's too short. There's kind of an after story gameplay, or I forgot the exact name or terminology that they call it for that. But end game. Uh, thank you. There's a there's there's an end game mode for this, but I felt, and I think that's why I'm not putting it as my game of the year because for its general 3D platformers. Super Mario RDC for me is like the Mario games usually are just amazing, and this one is even better. We got amazing Mario games on the Wii U, which you can play again on the Switch. But as a Switch first Mario title, this is today the best Mario game, in my opinion. I'm quite sad, I wouldn't say disappointed, I'm sad that the storyline is so short because A, it is amazing. I love the storyline. If you don't recall, the storyline is Bowser kidnapped Peach again, and he kidnapped her so he can marry her. So your job is to go from world to world to stop Bowser from marrying Peach. Because at the same time of kidnapping Peach, he also kidnapped a magic cap that uh, your now new Mario cap called Cappy is... I guess in love, I think they like like Bowser kidnapped Bowser and Capet. I guess they, they call it. I don't recall the, the the feminine name. They they say to Cappy, but he, they capture Cappy's wife. Let's put it this way, uh, because she's uh, Peach's crown uh, at that point. So you're both like with Mario and Cappy. You're trying to save both Peach and this uh, crown cap. Let's put it this way. Uh, and that storyline is just amazing. Like the, the all of the world are amazing, but 
I don't know why. And I could just disconnect it. Like the storyline ended in an amazing note that I don't want spoiled today. If you want to get it spoiled, either go back to episode 80 uh, and listen to it. But it ends on an amazing note. Um, the transformation mechanism is quite nice because it helps you solve the platform puzzles in a different way that was new for Mario, which was quite refreshing. But I wanted more. Like, I don't want to go play back the, the same level to get more moons. I just want more of a story. So I get incentivized to play. I, I remember I compared it a lot to Super Mario 64, which I always felt that Mario 64, there was less of a story, but it took so much time to complete and save Peach that you were maybe, like, near the end. So it was easy to say, like, oh, to 100% complete the game, I have maybe 10 of 20 stars. If I recall correctly, you save Peach at 100 and there's one of 20 stars. Well, it depends if you're a speedrunner or not because now you can do it in like very few stars. Oh, really? Because uh, Is that because of your bugs you can go in and skip some stuff? No, even if you're just playing legit, you I think you only need like 60 stars max to, uh, to oh, really? actually finish the game legit. Huh. Yep. Okay, then I guess my bad. Maybe that's... Now they're cutting the line. They're making the speedrunner life easier. I don't know. Well, I will guess we've seen a couple of years with what speedrunner will do with Super Mario Odyssey. But to me, that's... they can already beat it in an hour. I think so. Oh shit! Yeah, I'm not surprised because I think to beat the whole story takes like ten hours. Like I would like to have spent like thirty hours in this game, but I want to spend thirty hours in the storyline, not in the end game. So I just searched for Super Mario 64 Star Run, and the top three completions are 0 Star Run, 1 Star Run, and 16 <laughs> Star Run. So choose wow. which one you want to have. Wow. Okay, sure, sure. But uh, the, way I, the way I was playing Super Mario, uh, Super Mario 64 is, if I recall correctly, if you play it the normal boring way, you, you need at least like an 80, 90, or a close to 100 stars, and then the maximum number is 120. If you play the game like someone who wants to play the game to enjoy the game, yes, you are probably going to wind yes. up around that range. Yes, which at the end you're like so close that it's like easy to get kicked in and then continue. So all this to say is it's an amazing game. If you have a Switch, you should already have bought it. If not, go like pause the podcast, go to the store and go on the eShop, buy it and then play the podcast again. And also download episode 80 where I talk about it even more. Okay. That was it for my two run-ups. Okay. Do you want me to go first with my game of the year? Well, now that you've said what your last runner-up is, I think I can guess what the winner is. But uh, sure, you can go ahead. I want you to guess. It's Wolfenstein the New Colossus. You are right. Of course I am. (laughs) You are right. Yes. My game of the year is the second Wolfenstein the New Colossus. Uh, I think I've been raving a lot too much to you about this game uh, in the past We haven't talked about it that much, to be honest. Yeah, that's kind of true. That's kind of true. So what happened is, uh, remember in episode 78, the Wolfenstein, the reboot of Wolfenstein introduced me to Twitch. Because I was, I was watching a lot of news about it on Twitter and, internet, and in the internet as a whole. And it was weird to me because I'm so used to... I'm used to play more action-adventure game. And Wolfenstein was, to me, a pure FPS. But that has some kind of storyline. But 
I felt that the storyline was enough to kind of trigger my action-adventure side of my video game's brain, if you see what I mean. And if you didn't follow what was this, uh, what is Wolfenstein, the rebooted game since 2014, uh, more or less, in 20, it started in 2014 with the New Order, uh, and then there was kind of a 1.5 version game of the New Blood that is a prequel to the storyline in the New Order. And then it, uh, we had the sequel, the new Colossus, uh, this year in 2017. But more or less, uh, what you see in the new order is Wolfenstein is in a timeline where the Nazi won World War II. I am surprised that I stayed connected to the storyline because the storyline is a bit crazy. So they won World War II because they found out about some kind of weird sci-fi tech that was hidden from their world for years. And there's kind of secret kind of group of people that were hiding this technology. And they're kind of, I know there's a kind of a religious aspect. It's like they're like from God and protecting this technology and making sure they're kind of the guardians of that technology. And now the Nazi found some of it. So that's why they like won the war and now ruling the world and of course you're the main character William B. Blaskovich uh William J. Blaskovich excuse me uh is a typical American true soldier and wants to save the world from those nads. But strangely enough there's a lot of cheesiness in what I've said but I was still like super excited about the game, super excited about the storyline. And it was to me like a typical FES. I was captivated by fps and that's why for me it is my game of the year i, I was surprised i was captivated and I, and I literally played wolfenstein the new order the new blood and the new colossus back to back from i think i think i got that in uh into a summer sale so i think i started playing them june i would say i guess if you if you follow me on the psn and you see the the, the, the trophy history you will get the uh, exact time I didn't look, but I literally be- played them back to back. I think I was uh no excuse me I was entertaining them with Salt Park. So I, I think I played New Order and then Salt Park and then or uh, did Old Blood plus some of the second Salt Park and then finished with the Colossus. But in that maybe two or three months period I played like five games, and I was literally like going from quote unquote mission to mission. Especially in the second one, uh, they kind of played a different twist. Uh, in the second one, the story is more or less, of course, you nearly died, but you survived. You also die. Spoiler alert. But you don't die. That's the weird sci-fi part. I'm like, really? Sure. So it's destiny. Hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of weird sci-fi, but I digress. But what I liked is... More or less in the in the whole game, you're in your own base is a submarine, and they found a way to introduce subquests that are like all of the subquests are the same. Your role is to go back to the previous maps you were, and so you you kind of more or less did your job and cleaned them, and you had an objective. But now because you killed like you did your objective, there's like Nazis going back to them, and there's like commanders that are still there, and the goal of the side quest is to kill all of those commanders. And they bring a little, a, a different twist because the, you go back, you have an objective. It's like, go get this commander. When you get this commander, it also unlocks more of these uh, side quests. And uh, the more you go in the game and also the more you get some kind of, uh, some of their cards that they get, the kind of a passport thingy. 
and you go back to the game, it brings it brings the, the the art level up a notch while keeping you motivated in the same timeline. So it like you progress in the storyline, and in between kind of the mission line in the storyline, you have things like, oh no, I need I want to go back and then go back to this map because this map was cool and stuff like that, and then have another mission that makes more or less sense. Like there's one goal to this game, and it is more or less to kill Nazis, right? There's a story around this, blah, 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 that is sometimes cheesy. But in the end, it was a revelation that I quite enjoyed this first-person shooter, which adds some element of side quest that was still, again, first-person shooter. That's why I'm surprised, because I was really tempted to put Super Mario Odyssey, which is was why it was hard to choose, because those games are at extreme opposites for me. <laughs> like, complete extreme opposites. Like... Super Mario Odyssey is a lovely game to play, you relax, and then in the other one, it's like, killing Nazis everywhere. So, yeah, that is for me. Like, 2018 is the year where I love this FPS. It's weird to say, but that's true. (laughs) Cool. What about yours? I'm seriously blinded about what yours is, by the way. Yeah, um, so one of the things I, I need to mention before I actually name this game is that I moved this summer and i didn't have internet for like two and a half weeks and one of the things i very quickly realized is that a large part of my ps4 collection is multiplayer only games (laughs) that i can't play when i'm offline um now not all of them luckily uh but i did struggle to actually find something i could play uh while i was offline for those two and a two and a half weeks and one of the games that i played impressed me a lot and this is my game of the year it is dragon ball fighters released in 2018 in fact it was a january release it is a high intensity anime fighter action without the intense learning curve of anime fighters uh when i say anime fighter i do not mean fighters that are based on anime series it's just a word that came out of Fighting games with an air dash that let you dash in midair. Like, for some reason, this is called an anime fighter because it's not realistic. Huh. Dragon Ball Fighters was developed by Arc System Works, which is one of the big anime fighter makers uh, out there. Uh, the biggest and most successful anime fighter company out there. And published by Bandai Namco, uh, which makes sense because Bandai is sort of tied up with the whole Dragon Ball license. Uh, and... Games based on licensed IPs generally turn out badly, but luckily this is not one of them. However, I'm not a Dragon Ball fan at all. I know fuck all about the series aside from what I learned via this game and what our mutual friend Shannon taught me when we were looking at Dragon Ball figures in Akihabara. Uh, so I don't actually know anything about the story. I don't actually care about the story of Dragon Ball at all uh, or the characters or anything. In fact, I don't even really like the art style of the characters that much, but I don't care because this game is fantastic. Uh, and the reason for this is that accessibility was a huge focus for this game. And Arc System Works has been working their ass off for years, uh, trying to make fighting games more accessible to people. And finally it paid off. So DBFZ, I'm going to call it DBFZ because otherwise it's too long. Uh, it, it attempts to remove the execution barrier of all of the complicated moves in fighting games with auto combo. So this is something Arc System Works has been experimenting with for years in Blaze Blue and Guilty Gear with what they call stylish modes, uh, but they had a very hard time finding a balance that worked. 
So very simply, what an auto combo is, is if you mash the same button multiple times in a row, you go through an auto combo. And this auto combo, compared to a lot of other fighting games out there, looks as visually impressive as a combo you would have manually input yourself. And this is one of the big issues with other fighting games, either with auto combos or without auto combos, is if you're just starting to play the game, you feel like you're incompetent at the game because nothing you do looks cool. The people who do cool stuff spend like 50 hours a week in training mode trying to get their combos to work. And then they can do stuff that looks actually impressive. But if you just like press the A button six times in a row in like, I don't know, Street Fighter, you're just going to jab the same place on the map six times in a row. If you press A six times in a row when you're playing Dragon Ball Fighters, you're going to get this crazy anime shit that's going to take over the entire screen. And it's going to look awesome. And this is great because people who are not good at fighting games, they just want to have a cool time and have it look cool. And if you just want to have a basic fight with a friend by just mashing buttons, you can and it's going to look awesome. And no other fighting game really does this. Even Smash, it doesn't look really impressive when you just mash buttons. It does damage, but it doesn't look cool. Whereas this game is very good at looking cool. But you might be thinking, well, if there's auto combos and they're good and they look impressive, is there still a reason to use manual combos? And the answer is yes, because each auto combo has a built-in weakness that can be exploited by the opposing player. So once you actually understand how the game system works, you can just counter that auto combo and there's not much you can do about it if all you know to do is keep mashing. But that means that you have to figure out, oh, well, at this point in the combo, I need to drop the auto combo and then start doing something else. But it is a nicer rant to actually being able to learn how the game system works because there are obvious counters to all of these things than just making auto combos a separate mode that is hidden in the menu somewhere and that you're not allowed to use in tournaments or anything. Like auto combos, you can't disable them in DBFZ at all. They're a core part of the game. Uh, another thing is all characters use the same joystick motions for special moves. So moving between characters is more intuitive than other games, which is good because this is a tag team fighter. So you have to control a team of three characters. So you have one character that is active on the field and you have two that you can call in via assist or you can tag them out by holding their assist button. So that's cool. It, since everyone uses the same special move motions, it means that you technically just have to know one set of motions and you can control all of the characters. Of course, the moves are going to be different. What comes out when you do the motion is going to be different, but at least you know the motions. It's not like Street Fighter, where some characters are charge characters, where you, so you have to hold back and then press forward and then press a button. Some you have to do a Z with the stick and press a button. Some you have to do a quarter circle forward and do a button. This is just like quarter circle or a uh, half circle, and that's about it. Like, you don't have to memorize any other funky uh, motions, which is very good. And what's really cool about this is that the simplified move execution does not sacrifice the depth of the game at all. Instead, all of that depth was moved to other mechanics that are sort of rock, paper, scissors types stuff uh, and reward good decision making over being skilled on a joystick, which is great. And one of the things that I'm real excited about is that this appears to be starting a new trend in the fighting game world, which is we're all trying to make fighting games as accessible as Dragon Ball Fighters because someone finally had the balls to make an accessible game and it's immensely successful and 
there's still as much depth. Like someone finally proved that it can be done. So people are trying to emulate it now. Yeah, now, now that somebody took the risk and is successful at it, everybody wants to take the risk because the risk is now lowered so much that there's this example where it has been successful. Right. Well, the only other example of a game I can name you right now that has this kind of thing built into it is another Arc System Works game, uh, which makes sense because since this is a licensed game, Arc System Works can't just use it willy-nilly as they want. So they needed to make their own game that is based around the same base mechanics uh, but with their own characters, and that is uh, Blaze Blue Cross Stack Battle, which fe- features characters. Uh, ironically, it has a lot of characters from other fighting games, but it is mostly fighting games that Arc System Works worked on. Uh, Persona characters, Blaze Blue characters, uh, and Ruby characters. Ruby is a sort of anime, sort of Western animation thing um, with a lot of very cute characters. So that's good, and. Uh, Basically, it's a very, very similar game. It's a tag team fighter, but teams of two instead of teams of three. Uh, and it has auto combos in a very similar way to Dragon Ball and very similar mechanics. Uh, but not exactly the same, of course, because you don't want to get in trouble with uh, Toei and all of the license holders. Uh, so I hope this is a turning point for the fighting game genre that just makes regular fighting games much more accessible for people who want to learn to play them. Uh, and we've dispelled the myth that move execution needs to be hard for fighting games to be deep. Anime fighters in particular are notorious for hard-to-execute combos and one-frame links, uh, where you have to literally hit the button on the right frame or else it doesn't work. Uh, and it's refreshing to see two fighters come out in the same year that do away with this and still remain super interesting and as interesting as their more complex counterparts, which is why I'm super excited about this game. Uh, so I played the story mode a lot while I was offline because it was all I could do in this game and I didn't have very many other games I could be playing offline. I need to say that the story mode in this game is atrocious. <sighs> First thing I, I, like I said earlier, I don't know anything about Dragon Ball, but this is not a story that requires comprehension of the Dragon Ball series to appreciate. This is just a bad story that is not Ooh. interesting. Like, there are fan service things. Like, I know a certain... Like, I've watched a couple of videos on the internet that explained, like, oh, this scene is important because it's the, an interaction between these two characters that never happened in any other media before. And, like, cool. I, I appreciate there's stuff in there for Dragon Ball fans to enjoy. But the story still isn't good. And the problem is the story is divided into three portions. Uh, I do not remember the first two chapters. But the first two chapters are long, but okay. Like... The story isn't good, but if you just want to play a story mode to complete the story mode with these characters, like, good on you. You can play the first two chapters and it's great. The third arc is called the Android 21 arc, and it's about the original character that was introduced in this game called Android 21, who is supposed to have an interesting story. The problem is that it's way too fucking long. It's taking me more time to finish the third arc than the past two arcs put together. There is absolutely nothing new that I am doing in the third arc of the story. Like, I'm playing with the same characters that I did in the first two arcs. I'm not unlocking anything new. Uh, I'm getting a cutscene every 20 fights. Uh, I think I've seen like four cutscenes in chapter six of the third arc. There are nine chapters. I cannot play the story game, uh, the story mode anymore. I'm just fed up with the story mode. I don't want to know anything more about it. 
like you might as well just pretend that the first two arcs exist and then forget about the third because you'll just hate this game if you actually try to play it but the actual fighting game is very fun and i had fun in playing these fights and throughout the story mode you get um modifiers that you can add onto your team so you can say oh i'm going to equip a uh health sucking chip to my character so that they can absorb health whenever i attack an enemy and that's really cool and you can do some really cool broken shit with uh, those modifiers but at a certain point like even if you're in the third arc the only thing you're really unlocking is level three version of these chips which is slightly higher than the previous ones you you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it so story mode is weak if you're uh, someone who is motivated by story modes sorry you're not going to enjoy this game however if you're just interested in mechanics of fighting games you're going to enjoy this a lot the netcode in this on ps4 is relatively good uh, which is great because not all fighting games have good netcode see also smash ultimate this is very playable even with subpar connections which is something that i appreciate a lot because i had a lot of internet issues early on when i moved here and i was able to play games relatively well and an added bonus is because this game is based on the Dragon Ball license, the game is more popular because there's a name attached to it that people recognize, which means there are more populated online lobbies and people to play against, and especially at lower levels. There are a lot of kids that have this game, and if you like to beat up kids because they're the weak ones in the ranked pool, you can do that, and you can feel good about yourself. Whereas if you go play, let's say, Tekken 7, which is in Season 2 right now, you're going to get your ass handed to you because the only people who are playing are actual people who are good at Tekken. Remember when I was saying about people being dicks on the internet? Well, uh, fighting games, like, this is why I was, like, kind of dubious about your thing. Fighting games is about exploiting cheap shots. Like, that is how you win at fighting games. That is how you win at basically any competitive video game, especially one-on-one -on -one games. So, I mean, like, the, the answer to cheap shots from your opponent is you have to just learn to counter it sorry <laughs> no true true but you know what that's the part i find boring right right and there are other types of games that uh account for that i remember when i was playing uh last year when i was playing oh my god i forgot the name again uh what's the ubisoft game we played together last year the division the division yes and you were like it's so real that it, i'm so afraid that it's going to happen in real life i'm like yeah I'm so used to people doing cheap shots to each other in the real life. Why would I want to do that on the internet? Yeah, yeah that, that's true. But like, in, in, like, this is the worst genre for that kind of stuff because it's literally like all you do in, the, in fighting games is exploit yes. weaknesses of your opponents. Yes. So it's like, and I'm going to put a video uh, in the show notes to Justin Wong playing against a nine-year-old kid and only throwing fireballs and the nine-year-old kid is losing his fucking mind. Like, he could just hold back and block, but no... That is too hard for a nine-year-old kid. He just starts like screaming and crying while he's getting destroyed by fireballs. <laughs> so yeah, so that's my game of the year, uh, Dragon Ball Fighters. It's a fantastic fighting game where Yannick beats nine-year-old on the internet. That's good. Uh, to be honest, my win rate is not that high, but yeah, I'm just saying there are more low-tier players for people who are not good at these games to enjoy fly fighting against, whereas. I definitely am getting my ass handed to me on Tekken because I'm bad at Tekken. So, so that's cool. And yeah, heavily recommended to people who want to play more accessible traditional fighting games. Because I know like Smash just came out. In fact, I played it quite a bit uh, last week. 
And like that is an accessible fighting game that a lot of people, well, it, even some people say it's too accessible and I, that's why I play Melee. Uh, but <laughs> uh, we're not going to go into that. But <laughs> like if you want something that is less like Smash and more like a traditional fighting game, this is the most accessible one. And I can definitely recommend it to people who want to get started in fighting games because you will learn the basic concepts in this game, even if it's more accessible than other things and then if you like this game there is blaze blue to check out and maybe other games will come out in the meantime that are based on these concepts so it, it it's a very good gateway drug to fighting games and we need more of those so i'm very happy about this game all right now that we talked about our winners yay i do want to conclude this episode with asking what our gaming plans for 2019 are and let's start with you Okay, good. So, um, like my game played so far, I feel that 2019 is going to be like what you've seen right now in the, in the 2018 game of the year list is going to be games I'm going to be playing. I still have a couple of catch up. I have two games from 2017 that are on my list, uh, and one of which that I'm sure I'll be buying over Christmas because nice, uber cheap. If listeners doesn't know, I'm a huge fan of the Uncharted series, uh, in Early 2017, I've played the Uncharted 4, which, uh, if you're a big action-adventure third-party shooter game, yes, it's an action-adventure shooter game, uh, you should play through all Uncharted, like literally all of them. And you can do that on PS4 by buying the 1, 2, 3 collection and then buying 4. Uh, and in the meantime, using the new engine they developed for Uncharted 4, they've released us spin-off called uncharted the lost legacy which i would like to play a lot it's character from the first and uh, the second and the fourth game so then they have to work together and we get to see why and it's a bit more open world e from what i heard compared to the typical linearness of an uncharted game again on my 2017 list i have mario plus rabbids kingdom battle this is a uh, I'm not sure if it's turn by turn based. I don't recall exactly, but it, it is a strategy game. That's our, that I recall, where you more or less need need to shoot each other uh, in a battle game, but with the Mario plus Rabbids uh, license, a uh, branding license. So it's quite interesting. I heard a lot of good reviews about it. Seen a couple of videos that makes it look interesting funny and uh addictive so i am eager to see that but as uh as with any nintendo switch games first of all they are rarely discounted and second of all tony is playing a lot of pokemon or lots of zelda again so um the switch is rarely available speaking of the nintendo switch uh of course i have to play pokemon uh it is again going back to the first game modernizing the first game plus being the go the pokemon go mechanism to uh this new switch game called let's go pikachu and let's go eevee uh since tony is a huge fan of of the pokemon series he bought both games so i have to decide which edition i would like to uh play in theory i bought i think i bought the eevee one and he bought the i don't recall which one he bought and which one i bought but we bought one each uh, so I'll be playing that, especially with uh, the Pokeball, because we have also the Pokeball accessories. Uh, like we mentioned a lot in this episode, we have Call of Duty, Black Ops 4, uh, which I'm sure we might have a, 
I don't know if we'll be. I, I know Yannick. I know Yannick is a bit weary about doing again Limit for Plays episode, but that would be a good contender for 2019 that we could do. Uh, and the last two games is again on one of my favorite series of games, uh, Tomb Raider. The latest game, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, uh, was released a couple of weeks ago. So that's on my list. And like I said, in 2018, I was quite excited and having a lot of, well, having a lot of fun playing strategy game on mobile. And like I said in the opening, in my honorable mention, Tropical, which is a different type of civilization, uh, strategy game is getting launched on iPad. I was released two days ago at the state of recording was released on December 18th and we are recording on December 20th and from what I've read on the uh, developers website they are planning to release the iPhone optimized version of the game uh, in 2019 they didn't mention when exactly in 2019 so I guess maybe like early like spring 2019 something like that I would imagine or a bit early 2019 so that's kind of my list that is the list of current consoles and current announced games. Um, usually, since I don't follow too much of the gaming news, uh, usually my main source of gaming news is either Yannick or uh, Digital Foundry slash uh, My Life in Gaming, which are, I guess, at this point, good fan of the show because we're mentioning yeah. all the time. Uh, but they are usually my main source of gaming of gaming news. So I guess. As far as I know right now, there's not that much like new game I would like to play except that list, which is quite long. But I am unsure when is the next generation console. And since I got a PS4 and not a PS4 Pro, I might be tempted to get like the quote-unquote PS5 early uh, this time around. Especially if uh, Sony and Xbox are keeping the strategy of having now a big console plus an update a couple of years after plus now a new generation plus a big update and stuff like that uh, if they're going to that pattern uh i will maybe be de- quote unquote due for an update uh when the ps5 launches which i think there's some rumors trying to say it's going to be uh fall next year yep so i guess that will affect uh what will be my what will be what will be the games and our uh, and how I will be gaming next year is uh, maybe the launch of a new home console. What about you? Well, first of all, I need to play less PS4 games. Uh, the reason what? for this is actually quite simple. It's I am out of SSD space, uh, so I need to finish <laughs> the games I have right now, and then I can start buying other games. But right now, I am completely full, and I am afraid every week that a new destiny patch is going to come out and completely fill up my remaining space which is highly probable any week now it's going to happen uh so i am going to try in the next week while we're off from work to get as much of my backlog on ps4 done as possible which is going to be tricky but i will try it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, that SSD upgrade from uh, to a one terabyte that you did, I think, a year ago at this point, a year. Eight it's not ago? a one terabyte. I have it's a four hundred eighty gig. Oh, it's a five hundred. Oh, okay, I understand now. But I yeah. did the same upgrade, but with two one terabyte. So I had the typical uh, five hundred gig SSD hard uh, drive. Excuse me, that was always full. Uh, I had to like seriously, like, five hundred gig these days is like three games if you have big. Ter- ter- 
AAA titles. So uh, one of my good colleagues and friend at work sent me a link to a good Samsung SSD. He's like, you need to buy this. It's like, it's good. I'm like, okay, sure. I uh, didn't ask any question. I know he's a big uh, nerd for SSD technology, so I uh, trust it just man, and I just bought one and updated it on the PS4, and now I have one terabyte of SSD space, which is a good for performance and also to get double amount of storage for digital games. So yeah, in the, in the short term, I'm going to be trying to grind out the PS4 games so I can have more space on PS4, but I also do want to put more time into my retro setup this year because oh. I barely used it. Uh, this year i am getting very final fantasy curious uh the reason for this is like many years ago i played final fantasy 4 which a lot of people agree is the best classic final fantasy game out there so i played through that and it was very good then i tried playing dragon quest 5 which is usually agreed to be the greatest dragon quest game and i've been trying to like learn more about square enix rpgs because it's a big chunk of gaming history that i have like zero experience with and my plan for 2019 is to play more mid to late 90s square rpgs and i I have a feeling i'm going to be spending a lot of my time on the playstation one in 2019 whoa okay one of the big reasons for that is price like i'm not gonna hide it like I found a list of 77 PlayStation 1 games that should be on the PlayStation Classic a couple months ago when we were talking about the PlayStation Classic. And these games are all mostly amazing, and most of them are 500 yen on eBay, or 5 bucks. So I can put together a fairly good PlayStation collection for 5 bucks a game. Like, I would be stupid not to do that before prices climb because everything climbs because retro gaming is big these days. Uh, so I, I want to, like, grab a lot of RPGs that I should have experienced back in the day but didn't and play through them this year. Now, one of the things that I am setting myself up for failure with is RPGs are long games. Uh, and... I am struggling to finish Dragon Quest V, which is literally a 20-hour RPG. And, like, for an RPG, 20 hours is not that long. (laughs) Really not that long. Yeah, and it's on a handheld, right? So it's, like, I have even less of an excuse there. Um, But, like, this week, uh, two things happened, mostly. Uh, I've been, like, when you were talking about being obsessed with a mobile game earlier, I am totally 100% with you because I have been doing that this week with Dissidia uh, Opera Omnia, which is a Final Fantasy mobile game for iOS, which I have been spending every waking moment of the day that I am not working playing. Almost not a joke. This game is so fucking good on mobile. You know what? That's what mind-boggling to me. Like, Civilization 6, I think it's... I have to look again, but it was not cheap. Like, when they launched it, I think it was the same price as when they launched the game in 2016, but now in 2017 on the iPad. So it was maybe five, 50, 60 Canadian dollars. Not cheap. You know what? If the price was $100, I would be a bit pissed. But like to me, it was worth it. Like, especially worth it to skip all of the like, food to play mechanism. Like, if you I would be wouldn't be surprised that if people start to play like if start to charge like console on console prices for those games on the app store, a lot of people will still buy them and make um, them viable. I don't think that's true because like the game I'm talking about is not a classic Final Fantasy. It is a free to play Final Fantasy. Oh, okay. 
but it's just really fucking good. Uh, and it's not predatory yet, question mark. Like, I'm, I'm still early on because I literally started playing it uh, Monday. Um, but it's very good. I know that the classic Final Fantasies are available on the App Store. Like, 1 to 7 are up there, and I think 9 is also up there. Yeah, and they're like $20, $30, if I recall correctly. Yeah, the problem oh, is that Square Enix has a bad track record with keeping those apps up to date and working on all yes. versions of iOS. And I would not want to risk playing those games on that platform because I already played a Square Enix RPG that they stopped maintaining. And then I couldn't do anything about my save game anymore. And I lost my save and I would have to basically play the entire game in one sitting and never save. Because the save feature was crashing. That's nice. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I wouldn't trust that. But since this is a free-to-play thing that is apparently making quite a lot of money for them, like, I am fine with playing that game. Because when it'll stop working, I will just stop working. And I will have never spent money on it. And, like, big whoop. But this game is fantastic. And I'm really excited about it. The other thing that it really got me excited for Final Fantasy this week is I read how Final Fantasy VIII works mechanically. And Final Fantasy VIII is probably the most broken video game in the history of video games. Uh, not true, but maybe definitely the most broken Final Fantasy game in, in the way that you can do some really exploitative, broken shit to the difficulty of that game that is absolutely hilarious, and I want to do it for myself. I want to experiment with that system because it looks absolutely hilarious. So, like, almost definitely the, the first game I'm going to buy for my uh, PlayStation 1, the in the new year is going to be final fantasy eight because i need to play this game it, it looks so crazy i have spent like all of the time at work i have been thinking in the back of my mind about like oh man this would be a really great way to exploit the system in final fantasy eight which is not what you want when you're trying to work on like a project that's due in two weeks uh so yeah i'm definitely excited to play Final Fantasy games and square rpgs throughout the year it's definitely not going to be the only thing i'm going to be playing but I definitely want to focus on those because it is a part of my gaming history that I am missing out on. Another thing that is probably a gaming theme for 2019 for me, and this is probably going to have to wait until E3 or TGS, is this is the year in which I expect Nintendo to justify me buying a Switch. Ooh, and you should look at my face right now. You the, can't, but you should. <laughs> the reason I say that is it's been two years since the Switch is out, more or less. Uh -huh. And usually that's when the game libraries start being good. Especially with this holiday season where there's Smash and there's Smash. And there's Pokemon, of course, but there's Smash and then there's Pokemon. Well, this is sort of the thing that is really bugging me about the Switch right now is that Almost every game that is on my wish list for the Switch is an enhanced version of a Wii U game. And I never bought the Wii U, so I'm not going to buy a Switch with the same games except slightly better. I am waiting for, like, the God game that is going to make me want to buy the Switch. And right now I'm not seeing it. And I am expecting it to probably be something that they're going to announce at E3. Uh, I was very excited about Fire Emblem until they showed gameplay of that last E3 and then it looked like garbage. <laughs> so I am very scared that they're going to ruin it. Uh, like, this is probably the year that is going to make or break the Switch for me. Uh, and either I will just pass on it like I did with the Wii U or I will probably end up finding something fantastic that I will need to buy the Wii U for, uh, the Switch for. To be honest, right now, what, uh, 
I'm eagerly waiting for the Switch is the last Wii U game that they should port that they did not port at this moment, and is Mario, Mario Maker. Maker. Yeah. Yes. That's definitely like one game they should be making over, and like 3D World isn't on uh, Switch yet, and True. I would like that. That that would be a good one. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a really more typical platformer, so I'm unsure if they would do it because of Odyssey. They could do it, yes. But like 3D Land and 3D World are like known to be like the best 3D platformers for people who hate 3D Mario games. Okay, yeah, sure. I see what you mean, but uh, that I that's a statement I agree with. But yes, no, uh, no, I meant yeah. Okay, never mind. I'm all <laughs> confused, but yes, I see what you mean. So I, it's a good 3D platformer, but I'm a big fan of 3D Mario games. I just don't understand the eight of 3D Mario games, but that's what I meant by I'm not in agreement with that statement. Yeah, pe- people who don't like 3D Mario games love 3D Land and 3D World because it plays like a 2D Mario game, which is what I want. Uh, but, eh, you like the 3D one, so whatever. True. <laughs> uh, my point about uh, about Mario Maker is, to me, if they're like, here's the last game that we will be shipping on the Switch that was on the Wii U, so it that will can be the the cherry on top, a bit like it's it's released on the Wii U. If you recall, it was like I think a year before they released the Switch. It was like super late on the on the Wii U lifetime. Let's put it this way, like it got released with all the like shitty numbers that the Wii U had, but they still released it. So I do hope that this game is not going to die with the Wii U, like a lot of other games that I didn't play, like Captain Toad that I heard is amazing. There's some Kirby games that was also ported uh, on Switch that were amazing on the Wii U, and they are still amazing on the Switch. Like they've there brought was a back Kirby game on Wii U that wasn't the Rainbow Curse one. Hey, am I mixing it up with? Oh, I think I'm mixing it up with the the Donkey Kong thingy. I don't know why I said Kirby then. Yeah, guess... that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that that was a mixed up. I was thinking about Donkey Kong game, but I don't know why I was thinking about the game you played. You were referring to that you played at uh, Tony's place before. Brain fart. Sorry about that. But yes, there's a. My point is to say there's a lot of Wii U games that have been ported to the Switch, yes. which is for people that skip the Switch is a good reason to say, oh, you know what? Like Nintendo is doing me a favor by bringing them back those games because they were amazing games and maybe the only reason to buy a Wii U. Uh, what one additional Switch thing, which is like almost a given by now, is there's pretty much going to have to be Persona Five on Switch by the end of the year because they announced Joker for Smash, and currently Joker is not in any game on the Nintendo Switch in the New- North America, and it's in Persona Q2 in Japan, which was literally released the week before the DLC was announced. Ooh, and. U2 is not here? Not yet. I don't mm. think it was even announced for localization here because I don't think Persona Q worked particularly well here in North America. But it, Wasn't it on the 3DS though? Yes. So Q2 is still on 3DS? Or is no, it on it's Switch? on Switch. Yeah, it was... That, that's Yeah, I recall when it was announced. It felt weird to me that it was on the 3DS. But I can't have seen why they might didn't want to ship it on the Wii U at that point. 
because it got released on the Wii U timeline. Well, you ha- you have to remember that Persona Q is based on Etrian Odyssey, which is a map drawing oh, RPG, true. and therefore the bottom screen of the DS actually matters. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the Wii U gamepad would have mattered too. But uh... yeah, but I mean, like you're gonna have to play docked at some point, and I'm not sure oh. how that's gonna work. Okay, but yeah, point. whatever. Uh, we're gonna get a little bit in the weeds. All I'm saying yeah. is Switch stuff. Please impress me this year. Please do, please do. I want to make to get a Switch. Please do. Yeah, we'll see. I could just also buy all those 77 PlayStation games that are on that list because they all look really good. Which is, if I calculate it quickly, is around the budget of the current Switch price. So Yeah, but 77 PlayStation I know, 1 games I know. that are like uh, critically acclaimed as being good versus a system that has like maybe three games that I want to play. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Why do I have to be a responsible spender? God damn it. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, that's about it for this episode. Good. So if you want to look at all the show notes, I'm sure we'll have a lot of links to those games, plus follow-up, plus a lot of stuff. We mentioned a lot of links in this episode. You will be able to find the show notes for this episode at limitlesspossibly.net slash 103 for 103. You can find our back at a lot of episodes i did mention a lot of past episodes you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net you can find the show on twitter at at limipo underscore podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast you can also find myself on twitter at at lucanoch that's l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-e and you can find yannick at sakarina that's s-a-k-u-r-i-n-a and we'll see each other next year see you in 2019